Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Daron. And I'm Nicole. And today we're joined by Pat Sandora, and we're going to talk about tactical training and recovery. Pat, welcome from the sticks. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're good. We're doing awesome. So I want our audience to get to know you a little bit and your history. I know you've done a lot with baseball and now you're currently with the Air Force. So tell us a little bit about your career and some of the things you've done. Okay. Well, um, I mean, my career started probably in the early 90s. I started at West Virginia University. Started out as a volunteer, became an intern, became a grad assistant, eventually went back when I finished my master's degree and I was associate director of strength conditioning. So I oversaw everything except football. Um, my main sports being men's and women's basketball, uh, baseball, tennis. It was the first time in, I want to say it was almost 58 years we made it to the Elite Eight uh, when I was there. So that was a pretty cool thing to do. Anyways, I spent like 18 years of professional baseball worked with uh majority of the time with the Phillies five years overseeing their minor leagues and that's basically taking everything from Venezuela Dominican all the way up to AAA and I spent a lot of time 10 years with the Boston Red Sox um, same thing you know I was doing um their minor leagues for uh six years and then I was the big league strength coach for four so it was a part of uh two world series which was nice. pretty awesome one is the minor league coordinator and one is the big league strength coach Got to be cool to be a part That's of the World awesome. Series, man. Oh, it was it was awesome. It was a trip, man. It was probably one of the highlights of my life. You know, honestly, besides working with the military, because the military is awesome to work with. So, how is it? You know, in terms of you're doing strength and conditioning in baseball for basically your entire career. Yes. And then you do this transition into, you know, doing the military. So, yeah. how is that different for you? Uh, I mean, it was, a, it was a little different, to be honest with you, but I started with uh, this company. It was called Oda X, and it was a Boston-based company that um, did tactical training. Uh, there were a couple ex-Navy SEALs. They always joke around that they were either going to open a brewery or, or start a human performance um, <laughs> uh, company, and they ended up doing the human performance company. Uh, but their their main focus was first responders, so police officers, firefighters, uh, EMTs. So um, they were looking for uh, speakers to go do like a day one training type thing. And it was basically eight hours of speaking about training and resiliency. They liked my background on stuff and they gave me a shot. And that's honestly how I got into the tactical component. And I, it was so rewarding that I'm like, oh, I just want to do this. And then the, the position opened up here in, uh, in the sticks, as you like to call it. <laughs> and, uh, and here I am, you know, so... Uh, been here for about two and a half years um, working with Air Force Special Forces and it's 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 been great honestly you asked about the transition it was an easy transition to be honest with you because it's it's the same guys I mean they they, mm -hmm. they tell the same jokes they <laughs> act exactly the same way it's just you know one's hitting bombs and the other one's dropping them to be honest with you, you know what I mean? yeah. so I mean it's all like alpha personalities that just you know that love the camaraderie and what they do and they just get after it. So it's yeah. on a, on a strength conditioning side, it's, it's a plus to it because the guys get after it. Where on the baseball side, it's like, you almost have to take a little bit. You're working with multi-million dollar players that you don't want to break. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, the training style is a little bit different, but I still brought that same mentality here in order to build athleticism and build out the program. So uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's been great. It's been great working with these guys. Cool stuff, man. It sounds like you're doing great stuff over there. You, you mentioned some of the things that when you got there, some mm -hmm. of the things you saw and some of the changes that you made and transitions that you made in, in kind of your own mentality and training. So what were some of the things mm -hmm. that you saw when you got there? Uh, when I got here, uh, I was replacing a strength coach that uh, was a, like an ex-military guy. He had been here probably about uh, maybe a year and a half, two years. His name was Ken Rhodes. Great guy. 
we had a lot of the same philosophy. So it was an easy like transition to be honest with you. Um, we were very similar that we're, we're both very like fascial driven ground based like training styles. Um, it's just our modes were a little bit different and like I, I was bringing in more the let's go after athleticism as far as like adding speed work, agility work, footwork, um, you know, uh, tempos of the bar, um, just different methodologies. Uh, he was real big, like I said, he was ground-based, very fascial-based, meaning like he was real big into um, anatomy trains and I, I am too, you know, so we had that similarities going on. We're real big on, you know, maximizing movement patterns. So it, it was just a matter of just, taking different means and adding more athlete driven modes of, of building strength, speed and endurance. And to be honest with you, it was, it was one of those things where the, he had programs, but it, he was just more of a monitor, you know, to making sure that guys were, were doing stuff and weren't hurting themselves. Whereas when I came in, it was more setting up programs of, Hey, I'm going to teach you how to do this. We're all going to do this at the same time, you know, and actually building it more as like, um, a college university kind of setting of strength and conditioning. Yeah. So um, uh, those were probably the biggest differences that, that we had in it. But I mean, it, he, he actually set a very good foundation that the guys had this mentality that they're going to get after it. You know, we had the boards already, the boards were already set up of like the max boards and, you know, um, relative strength boards where, you know, if a guy's like 120 pounds say, but he's pulling, you know, 2.8 times his body weight, you know, he's up there, he's recognized for it. It wasn't just the, the, the heavy hitters that were pulling like 400, you know? So like I said, it was, he, he definitely set the table. It was just a matter of just making some tweaks and actually adding in some like specific programming where I'm, I'm undulating workouts. Uh, I'm bringing in more of a periodization plan, you know, of action. Um, in so you're doing, you're doing like uh, undulating periodization, like you're focusing on strength and hypertrophy kind of stuff. Like how's that working with? Yeah. I mean, um, to be honest with you, one of the big things that I brought in um, and I, I, I did this with my assistant that I had the opportunity of uh, hiring my assistant, um, Chris Eloy, his background was more like strongman stuff. Mm. And I was like, this, this is what this needs. This is a great component of, of tactical training because they're pushing and pulling stuff that's, it's not a bar. Right. You know, it's not easy to move around. It's not easy to move around. And they're, they're, they're awkward, odd objects that yeah. they're moving. And it's like tactical, tactical strength conditioning needs to have this component in it. I mean, my background is more functional ground-based, all right? Like multi-directional work, maximizing strength in, in multiple planes of motion. That's my big thing. But like I said, in order to progress the program, I'm like, I need to get this guy. He's great on strong, man. He's going to, he's going to bring a lot to the table. And, and that's one of the ways we went with it. And, and it's just taken off, you know? So do you have them, do do you have them like lifting Atlas stones? Like what what is it? We do. We, we are actually one of the only ASOS is it's, it's air support operations, like units or squads. We're one of the only ASOSs that actually have Atlas stones. So we, we, have, we have these big, uh, soft Atlas stones that are 60, 80, 100, and 150 pounds that we'll, we'll do different carries with. You know, 150 pounds, is, that's a heavy. That's no joke. Heavy hitters. And I have, some boys, <laughs> I have some boys that easily, I mean, they, they just throw it up and we'll do like uh, reps over bar or we'll do like distance walking and stuff like that. that they just, they love it. Um, a lot of sled work. You know, we, we do teach a lot of Olympic lifting as well. To me, it's just like, it needs to look athletic. It doesn't have to be like competition perfect. You know, it just needs to look smooth and athletic. So th- those are the, the, some of the, the training techniques that we bring to the table. Well, the goal for that is, right, they're not competing. It's to transfer that skill into, you know, what they're doing when they're... Exactly. So it's, it's taking specificity of the energy systems and, and the strength systems that are being used, but it's going towards a common goal of them being better tacticians or being more tactically sound in their training styles, you know? And, and I think that's one of the big things that sometimes are overlooked. Like we could use in the term, like working out, uh, you're not working out, you're training. There's, there's yeah. a reason why we're doing the things that we're doing. I work out because I play with different techniques and I play with different, you know, uh, methods and uh, philosophies to see what I can incorporate 
but at the same time, you're not working out, you're training for something specific. In this setting, I mean, we're basically peaking them for deployments, you know, which yeah. are basically three-year buckets. So like the first year back um, or coming off a of deployment, it might be more of a linear periodization that we're getting reacquainted to their surroundings and just building general strength. The second year going in, now so just, we're going to start getting more isolating with the, the training style. So I just want to stop you there just for our audience, right? Yeah. So Nicole and I know what you're talking about, but yeah. for our audience, can you kind of just map out what linear periodization would look like and then compare that into undulating periodization? Yeah. So like linear periodization is going to be, I'm working on like um, four to six week block of endurance training, you know, so it could be um, muscular with our lifts. It could be more aerobic oriented training with our, our running and conditioning. Um, it can be a mixture of like high intensity um, interval training. Then the next phase you'd go into is going to be more like a hypertrophy phase. So we're going from like high reps of like 15s to 20s. Now we're going to start increasing your load, but decreasing your, your repetition. Okay. So now we're in that more of a bodybuilding phase or a hypertrophy phase where we might be doing like four sets of like 10 or, or like four sets of six to 10s. Okay. For four to six week blocks. And then we're always for, for recovery purposes, you're always putting in like, maybe like a, a week or so where I'm deloading mm -hmm. before I start the next phase. So we get into this super compensation. And then you're going from that to where I'm adding more load, which then I, therefore I need to take out some overall like volume of work. So now I'm like basic strength or max strength. Now I'm getting into like four to six reps, but I'm increasing my, my volume by, you know, increasing uh, by sets. All right. And then eventually it, it could be like, eight sets of twos, you know, where I'm hitting max strength and then I'm going from max strength into power work. So now I'm deloading the weight, but moving the bar quicker in order to create power. So it's linear periodization is, is basically inverse relationship between uh, volume and intensity. All right. Now, when you're talking about undulating, there's, there's def several different ways of undulating your training. So it's taking different components and I'm either doing a weekly undulation. So one week I'm working on, uh, endurance one week I'm working on hypertrophy one week I'm working on uh, strength one week I'm working on power or it can become more of a daily undulation where one day I'm working this one day I'm working that one day I'm working this so there's like transitions in so there, there's a whole bunch of different methodologies of training you know that you can throw out there um, one of the things I always uh, talked about because I, I used to teach um, when I was starting to work on my doctorate I would teach like um, master's level strength and conditioning courses. And that's actually where I got my assistant. He was one of my students. Um, <laughs> like we, I would always explain that, you know, there's, there's really no right way or wrong way. There's just my way and your way. As long as you're staying within the framework of the science, you know, it's just using different methodologies in order to get the same result. In the long, yeah. In the long. yeah. So I've done that where I've done it daily. I've done undulating periodization. I did a block. That's Nicole. When I was in Chestnut Hill, mm -hmm. I did a block where it was strength, hypertrophy, and power. And mm -hmm. it was squat, deadlift, bench press. And one mm -hmm. of those would be strength. One of those would be hypertrophy. One of those would be power. And then the next workout, I would just alternate which one's strength, which one's hypertrophy. Yeah. yeah. So that's the way I've done it. But so you're doing, in some cases, you're doing it on a week to week basis. Yeah, it just depends on where we're at in the, in the transition of the program. So there's there's some kind of some kind of transition going in, and then like it, it just depends on where we're at in the training cycle, where we're at with our testing cycles. Mm -hmm. You know what we're trying to do. Like this week was a deload week because we're doing a 24 hour charity run. So for 24 hours, like um, somebody has to be running with the TAC P flag, which is our our banner. So like this morning I, I put in 10.5 miles or 10 points, nice. yeah, 10 and a half miles basically. So my goal for, for this one is, is going to be at least 21 miles. I did 20 miles last year. So I have to hit that. So I have to go back. As soon as I'm done with this, go back to run. So how does that work? How does that work with 24? Like, are you running for 24 hours? Like, I don't know. It's just, it's just the, don't you the American off. flag. Yeah. The American flag and the TAC P flag have to be running for 24 hours. So Somebody. different guys will set up, yeah, like yeah. sign up for different times to carry the flags. Yeah. So those flags are consistently like going around 
we have a, a half mile loop around our complex. So they'll run that, that flag will go 20 for 25 hours straight. The two flags will fly. You know what I mean? And then mm -hmm. people sign up through either rucking for X amount of time, running for X amount of time. You can walk in between and take the breaks, but it's whoever has the, the furthest distance, like running, whoever has the furthest distance rucking, whoever has the most total distance combined, you know, will like win a little, I, I, they're, they're playing for leave basically days off. Nice. You know, so. So let me, how many days a week are they training in? We're, we're training for four to five days at a time, you know, so it just depends on where we're at in the whole periodization plan and where they're at their travel schedules for training. So let me ask you this. How are you measuring progress in terms of the training and, and how are you measuring how, how, yeah, how are you measuring uh, performance outcomes? So we, we have layered testing and assessments that we'll do. So you can think of it as like starting out with uh, looking at vitals. You know what I mean? Like, so it's just going to be basic test. Where's the heart rate at? So we might do some heart rate, like training type stuff to, to get a, get an idea of where the guys are. Then we'll get into like uh, some kind of assessments where we're looking at, you know, their movement screens, you know, how well are you moving? Um, then we'll take another step and look at locomotor or um, manipulative strength. So we'll look at like different speeds, like where are we at on, um, a 60 yard sprint or where you at on a hundred yard sprint where you at on a 30. I usually do honestly taking it from baseball, a 60, but I measure the first 10 yards, the first 30 yards, and then your 60. And then I do comparisons on where they're at. So I can look at power at the first 10 yards on where they are and where they're going to be. Okay. Or where they should be. Then we'll look, we'll take the first 30 yards and compare it to the second 30 yards and, and also get it like a stride length and stride rate. So we're looking at you know, like turnover rates and um, what the differentiation is and where they should be. And then we do like a 300 yard shuttle run and we're looking at what the heart rate is between the first and second 300 yard shuttle and what the rest periods are uh, in that three minute period, how quickly can the, the heart rate drop back down? And then, you know, later on in like, I don't know, anywhere from like every quarter to, you know, every six months, we'll do some kind of retesting. That's on like the locomotor component. On the strength component, we'll, we'll, we keep track of all our numbers and where they're at. And then we'll do like every quarter to every six months, just do like a, a max out day, you know, just to see where they're at on, at least on their big three. Mm -hmm. Cool stuff, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, it sounds like you're doing a lot. There's a lot of programming involved. Yeah, yeah. Um, a, lot, a lot of balls in the air sometimes. I'm sure I'm sure you enjoy it. I mean, you've been programming for athletes forever, so it's yeah, definitely a, a change of pace, but kind of similar, right? Yeah. You, me, and Nicole, we talked about at some point the recovery and the overtraining factor when you got there. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah. talk to us a little bit about that. When you're talking about, like, overtraining, the guys, again, like, Ken was great. He, he set a tone on the guys. But one of the things that they did were like, when I first got there, they would do my workouts and then do another workout, like after work. Because they felt like all day, they had to do this high volume, high intensity work all the time. More is then, better. Exactly. And they, right? they have that, that more is better mentality. Exactly, Nicole. And, and it, it's just one of those things where it's just like, you, you need to educate them. So we started having like little briefs to educate that you need to have deload days you need to have recovery weeks or a deload week in order to maximize performance so like we we went through like you you have this i call them like the the goldilocks principles you know you, it's too cold you know too hot and just right so too cold would be i'm not pushing the weight i need to push so i get a little bit of fatigue there's a little bit of drop but there's no real recovery aspect and there's no like building off of the, like the gas principle Right. Um, and I, I mean, I can elaborate a little bit on the gas principle if you want me to. So yeah, go for it. Yeah, go for it. Okay. So like gas is um, general adaptation syndrome. So in order to maximize performance, you need to push yourself. But if you push yourself too hard and you come in too hot, like Goldilocks, it's, it, the porch is too hot. Then you're not setting your body up for a 
supercompensation effect, which means my performance will drop because my volume is so high, my intensity is so high, which you want it to a certain point. But if I keep going down that road, I'm not going to have a recovery. So I need to have like a deload or a recovery week or however you want to do it, where you have this, I'm going down with my performance, I'm deloading to let the body recover and then it recovers at a higher point than what it started out as. So that's, that's the whole basis of resistance training. I'm pushing myself to a limit, but then I'm going to back off that limit, let my body recover. When I come back, I'm going to be stronger or I'm going to be faster or I'm going to have better endurance. Okay. And you go through these little cycles and that's why it's important to have those deloads. Getting back to like the porridge is too cold type aspect is I'm not pushing myself the way I need to be pushing myself. It's not a deload week, but I'm using lightweight because I just don't feel like doing it. All right. I'm getting really no training effect out of it. And then I baseline. All right. And people wonder, Hey, well, I didn't get any better. You know, working out sucks. Or it's not but, working. <laughs> or it's not, it's not working. Okay? Well, so from, from, from that standpoint, right. One thing that one dialogue that I've always had was you have to be able to push yourself past a certain limit mm-hmm. in order to have your body have the need to build and grow stronger. Right. So yes. like when I look at it and I explain it from like an evolutionary perspective is like the conversation that I have with people is from an evolutionary perspective, you need to be, your body needs to think like, holy shit, if I don't do this, I, I'm not going to survive. Exactly. Right. And then it forces that growth and that recovery process. But if you're not mm-hmm. pushing yourself past the limit, why does your body have to build stronger? Because it can handle what you're doing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and that's the whole concept that, that we're trying to get across. But the guys were just pushing themselves so much that they weren't seeing results. Okay. And that was, I think, one of the, one of the things that, again, nothing against Ken that was there, a, a great guy. But that was one of the, some of the feedback that I, that I would get from them. It's just, we're, we're not, you know, I want to be stronger. I'm not getting stronger. Well, it's nothing that Ken's doing. It's just the fact that you were doing more work on top of that and not letting your body recover and get into those um, little rebound modes to where you're able to, to do more than you used to do. And then like once they started getting that buy-in to, all right, I need to deload here. Okay. We're pushing yourselves because every day we ask, hey, how you doing? How you feeling? Oh, I'm sore. I'm this. I'm that. Okay. So we're going to make a little adjustments or we'll have them do like a little grip strength test. All right. Every day. Is your grip better or worse than it was? Well, it's worse. Well, then you need to unload a little bit and let the body recover, you know, or you can even do that with like a vertical jump. Hey, just jump and see where we're at. Are you touching the same one that you were touching before? Or are you touching lower? If you're touching lower, hey, we might need to, you know, pull back a little bit on your volume or your intensity. Or are you touching higher, right? I mean, that's the goal. Or if you're touching higher, it's like, hey, we're full go. Let's go. Let's get after it today. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So those just looking at little tricks or little gauges of, all right, not only how am I feeling, but like, what's my performance today? Yeah. You know, to get like little reads and then make your adjustments. So So, um, I think for I think for guys like that you know, they're constantly training. It's, it's a hardcore environment. Mm-hmm. And then for you to come in and say, slow down. You know, a bit. Well, basically yeah. like it's all about recovery. Yeah. It's more about recovery than it is training in, in my eyes. That's how yeah, I see definitely, it. Right definitely. now. They're definitely a lot more resilient because they're training really hard on a consistent basis. So yeah. they're definitely going to be way more resilient and be able to recover probably more efficiently than your average day-to-day person just walking around. Mm-hmm. But in the same respect, I can see it being kind of like a difficult mindset shift for them with, oh, wait, like you're telling me I got to, you know, sleep more, rest more, lift lighter weights on certain days. And what? I I can't eat Burger King or KFC every day. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it was definitely like a little bit of a shift and like an eye opening. So, like I said, we, we did briefs almost like weekly when I first got here you know, of just trying to educate them on their body, you know, Hey, they know their body more than I do. Mm-hmm. However, I know the science more than you. See, okay? and I love that because that applies to everything. Like we can sweep, you're talking about obviously elite performance mm-hmm. and then you talk about athletes and then for Daron and I general population and people that are just trying to live their best life and be healthy. All mm-hmm. of this applies to 
all three of those facets in life, you know? Definitely. So Definitely. it's the same yeah. thing. I mean, the recovery, if you're not training hard enough or if you're training too hard, right, that applies to general population, you know, at a mm-hmm. different magnitude, right? The training is going to be different, but it's all the same shit. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. You brought up nutrition too. I, I'm, I know we're going to get to this, but so just let me know, Daron, when you want to throw that in. But I, I mean, can't wait to get, talk we, about food. We can, we, can just, <laughs> we can just get into it. So, yeah. Pat, is there a you know, specific nutrition that they follow? Like, what's the deal there? Um, I mean, usually, like, when they come in, like, I'll do a body test, like a body fat test. Uh, I use old school calipers, you mm-hmm. know, the old land calipers. And we do a three-site, a seven-site, and we take the average of the two to try to get an idea. And, and I kind of break it off to like ectomorph, mesomorph, endomorph, all right, to mm-hmm. try to educate them on, on this stuff. And then I'll, I'll run off of that uh, a frame analysis to try to get an idea of how much lean mass their body can hold. And I try to educate them on, yes, fat mass can play havoc on the joints and havoc on performance. However, at the same point for what you're trying to do, excess muscle mass is still going to be excess weight because you're already carrying like at least 60 pounds. You're rucking up a mountain, you know, to try to get comms and communicate with the pilots, you know, so they know where to drop the bombs and excess weight can still hamper performance. And Mm. we, I want your, your lean mass to be between this and this based on what we're getting your frame to be. So I take those components and I run like a Mifflin equation with it. Yep. to get an idea of what, what their caloric intake should be so based wait, let on me, the activity. Let me just backtrack a little bit. So you're saying you're basing... same Goldilocks. Lock. Well, no, but you're basing where they should be in terms of the, uh, the frame of their body, like ecto, meso, and, and endo. As a starter. Right. So, so, you're starter. Like, so you're like, ideally, with this body type, you should be between this weight and this weight. Is that correct? It, somewhat, yes. So like, I'll, I'll take the, the body fat, okay? Like... To me, like I'm taking the three different body fats, okay? The, um, it'll be like a three-site. Uh, I run a three-site NCA wrestler, which will actually give them a higher fat mass, the Jackson Pollock 7, and then I take an average of the two. So to me, mm-hmm. the, the three-site collegiate wrestler is going to be more, not saying that the wrestlers are endomorphs, but because I'm getting more fat mass would put the endomorphs in that range. The Jackson Pollock 7, it gives me a lower fat mass. So I put that in more the ectomorphs. So I have the endo and ecto, and I take the average, and I get a meso. All right? And then I talk to them about it. It's like, hey, is it, are you a hard gainer? And you could Right. I, mean, I was just going to say, you can look you at can, them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you, yeah, I mean, you like come to a hard point. gainer. Yeah. You're, you you're, you're blocky body type. You're, right. you know, is, yeah. what do your parents look like? And you can kind of get an idea and no one's, no one's strictly one or the other. There's usually exactly. like a mixture, you know what I mean? You're, you're like, for me, I'm on the endo side because I have a blocky shape, but I'm like endo mezzo. You know what I mean? If you look at my, like my family. Well, I um, think everybody's a combination of things. Yeah, exactly. But like, I, I take that, that kind of concept and, and apply it towards, all right, this is where we're at like food nutrition wise off of the Jackson Pollock or not the Jackson Pollock, but uh, off the Mifflin equation. All right. And then I can be like, all right, this is, this is baseline where your basal metabolic rate is. Right. It's going to be this and then apply the different percentages based on activity rate. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, based on what the goal is of where I want them to be based on their body fat. Yeah. And you're going to also figure out where their starting point is calories wise. Right. So if you, if they fall in a certain range of calories mm-hmm. what are they currently entering in eating now and then you exactly. adjust based off that and you guys are the experts on this i mean it's I, like i have because i'm not a nutritionist i'm i you know i don't have all the like the certifications you guys have but just working at it over time it's just you have an idea of a, that nutrition that sports nutrition 101 of what you should eat how to figure out like your caloric intake mm-hmm. so I, I usually have all my guys document at least five days of what they're taking in I, yeah. I don't care what you're eating just eat your normal stuff let me see where it's at when when we're done okay this is where you should be right now because we're not going out and doing training um, we're gonna be doing more office work you know this month so you might want to cut your calories back to this and then we just go kind of go through a, a general like hey the more vibrant the coloration of your fruits and veggies, the more, you know, antioxidant, anti-inflammatory properties they have to them. Here's where we're at with 
carbohydrates and, and foods and starches. You know, this is, I go off a of glycemic index still because I'm talking to him about like it emptying, how quickly it empties into her stomach and the different aspects. And then I always, always get into like some kind of like protein and fat component and, you know, diversifying your protein sources as much as possible. So mm-hmm. you're not always eating chicken, 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 chicken. <laughs> getting, they're getting the fish in there that's going to give you, you know, your, your good fats, you yeah. know, your omega-3s. I'm, I'm getting, um, you know, plant-based that's going to give me more of a uh, mineral intake or nutrient intake from the minerals. I'm eating my meats that are going to give me like higher iron rates. So like I, I try to just give them like a little quick, like sports nutrition one-on-one. This is where I want you to be. Where are you at? Let's have conversations and then kind of go from there. So let yeah. me just backtrack a little bit. So you're giving them calories based on resting metabolic rate, right? And then yeah. there's an activity factor that you factor into the Mifflin equation. Exactly, yes. And then from there, are you doing, so you are looking at body type. Now, based on body type, are you looking at different, different percentages of macros that these guys should be eating? I, I'm not. Cause that, that's beyond my pay grade. I mean, that, that's you guys, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But to me, it's more like, all right, what are the, what are the standards that you should be at, you know, based on your body fat, your body types. I mean, to me, they have to have fats. Okay. Because we're, we're considered like light fighters. So we're, we're endurance based athletes mm-hmm. to an extent, but we still need to have the power endurance and the speed endurance component to have the be in firefights and stuff like that. I want them to have fats, but it's like, trying to educate them on good fats if it's an overweight guy I, honestly i talk to them more about whether their, their nutrition habits like what are your carbohydrate habits mm-hmm. when are you eating the carbs do you understand when we go through the glycemic index and explain the glycemic index and like um, the different foods that uh, absorb quicker and then explain to them that like when you're sitting on your ass and you're not doing anything <laughs> you know what i mean yeah the carbohydrates you're taking in are being stored as fats yeah, They're not no being stored as like into the muscle. The more that you're working out, the more active you are. Hey, you could take those fast digesting carbohydrates because at the time, if you're doing activity, it's going to be spiked into the muscle, you know what I mean? As opposed to the going into, you know, the liver and then converting over to the fat. So, so let me ask you this. Are, are some of the guys eating, cause they're training a lot. They're training hard. Are they yeah. eating a decent amount of calories? Yeah. So you know, where, where, would be, where would we be, where would we be like average wise? Uh, average wise as, as far as our caloric intake? Yeah. On average, probably about, I would say about 3,200, you know, it's not high. Yeah. Because like when, when I see them, they're, they're going to be training with me, but they also go off to do TDYs, which is their, like, they go out and do training, tactical training somewhere where they're controlling air, they're doing different movements, or they have these war games that they go to. When they're doing that kind of stuff, yes, I want you to increase your caloric intake. But usually when I see them and they're with me, they're, they're doing a little bit of like tactical stuff. They're doing their training with us, but they're doing office work or they're doing education. So it's like I kind of keep them down a little bit based on where we're at with, with the, the training schedule. That's still though, 3,200 of good quality food is hard to eat. Yeah. Much harder than 3,200 of know, My hard gainers have a really hard time. Yeah. They're like, I, I feel like I'm eating all the time. All the time. Yeah. You know? And it's like, do you feel like you're getting bigger? Because you're getting bigger and your body fat shows that you're putting on mass. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, but it's, it's, it's like almost a job tank. eating. Yeah. yeah. It's almost then, a job eating. And then here's the thing. <laughs> as, as they get bigger, right? Those ectomorphs, they get bigger and they build they more muscle. They can eat more. And then they're, yeah. they're going to have to eat more to maintain yeah. that and exactly. then to build further. Right. Exactly. So exactly. they constantly feel like they're having to fuel. Yeah. So jealous. Uh, that's, that's <laughs> I know really. I, mean, right? I can look at, I can look at my KFC, which is right across the street here. I'm looking at the sign and I'm getting fat right now. Yeah. I'm just looking at the KFC sign. So. Yeah. I mean, for, I spent 15 years as a mostly, I don't want to say I'm entirely ectomorph because I respond well to bodybuilding training, mm-hmm. but I, I was a hard, like people look at me now and they're like, there's no way you're a hard gainer. And I'm like, dude, 15 years. And yeah. there was a point where I ate 7,000 calories a day for a two year stint, like straight every single day. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's what it takes. That's yeah. you, you have to just eat and eat and eat and people see it and they think it's like overnight. I'm, they're like, there's no way you're an ectomorph. I'm like, dude, I, 
I used to eat until I threw up and then ate to make up for it. It was a sickness. It was bad. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend anybody do that. But in bodybuilding, that was the name of the game, right? Like you got to just eat and grow and you got to be the biggest, baddest motherfucker on that stage. Yeah. That goes into a whole psychological component we could talk like, about if you yeah, want to as right? far as <laughs> mental resiliency. If you want to go that route, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of different things you can go with. But. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's a, you know, I'm sure for these guys, there's a ton of mental training. Let me ask you this. On a personal yeah. note, did you get to ride in a, in a cockpit? I, I didn't. I, I haven't. The only thing I did, like, and I, when we were trying to set this up, I got a chance to go on a little training mission with them and, and climb a mountain. So, like, me, like, I'm like, oh, I love hiking. I love the, the nature, you know, whatever. Um, I don't mind rucking. I get an idea of it, you know, and how much you have to carry on your back. And they're mm -hmm. like, all right, we're going to go up this mountain. We're going to spend the night. We're going to get, like, uh, communication set up with Fort Drum, and then you know we're gonna hike back down the mountain. So I'm like, all right, we're gonna take a path, right? No, we cut a path, <laughs> you know, through basically like the Adirondacks to get to the <laughs> top of this mountain. And the whole time it's tactical, so you have to be quiet. So we're moving slow. It honestly took, I want to say like, I don't know, it took at least four or five hours to, to climb this mountain, you know, tactically, mm -hmm. trying to be quiet got to the top of the mountain sweating my ass off you know <laughs> and it, it was I, it was beautiful up there you know don't get me wrong but now I, I didn't get a chance to, to ride in any planes and basically all I've done was like rucked a mountain I have watched them go to the range and, and drop bombs which is pretty cool and talking to the planes and where they drop the bombs that that's wow. that's kind of what my guys do um they're they're set up with a, an army unit or like a we're with the 10th mountain division okay so we're the 20th asos within the 10th mountain division so we're assigned to them so anytime that they go out and do any kind of mountain warfare like our my guys are they'll go they'll be assigned with the 10th mountain division when that group deploys my guys will deploy with them mm -hmm. and my guys call in like the the close air combat scenario so if you ever saw when we were soldiers with Mel Gibson, there's a little part where the guy's talking on the radio and where they drop the bombs and it gets really close to, you know, their perimeter. Is that like where they, yeah. uh, do they do like in, cause I played a ton of call of duty. Do they, do they, <laughs> do, they do like, where, like that, Jerome. <laughs> where, where they'll like point the laser at, at an yes. object and then yeah. it'll get, yo, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah. So they'll, they'll do, <laughs> they'll be the, the guys like where they're, Hey, you're hitting here. And if the pilot has the, the vision goggles, um, they'll see the laser and wow. be like, all right, boom, that's where we're, we're shooting at. That's, yeah. an intense, that's pretty intense cool. stuff. That's, that's pretty really cool. intense pretty stuff. Cool. Very cool. cool stuff. You know what I did want to talk about? And this is, it's, it's the here and now with like, and, and this is not a political statement whatsoever. So it, it's not going to go there. But like, I wanted to like, I did want to talk a little bit about like the, where the heart rate should be for tactical training. And there's a bunch of research that goes behind this. The more in shape you are, the more you're able to control your heart rate, right? Yeah. Okay. In intense scenarios that you might be in, the more that you can control the heart rate, you're optimally performing because you're right in that sweet spot of where your heart rate should be. So you're not freaking out with fight, flight, or freeze, but yeah. you're in that sweet spot. That's and hard with, training to do though, with, right? To with, get to that point. Yeah, but I mean, there, there's stuff that you can do, you know, mm -hmm. as far as we'll do like some stuff with our, um, our social workers, like also our mm -hmm. mental skills person. So we incorporate different components of like stress inoculations into the training sessions. Well, right? so that's what I was going to say is like, you're talking that's about, a stress, you're talking about a stress response and essentially you're trying to suppress hormones that are going to like adrenaline, right. norepinephrine, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. But the more in shape you are, the more you're able more you to control, control that. that heart rate you're not getting into those real high heart rate zones where you're going to have a deterioration of cognitive or you're not going to get tunnel vision or, or tunnel hearing. You know what I mean? When the higher that heart rate goes to the right, the more you, you kind of get into these modes where all these endorphins are kicking in and you might get that tunnel vision or you, you might not hear what you're supposed to hear. You not, might not cognitively take in the responses you're supposed to be doing in order to maximize your decision-making skills. One of the things that I did want to point out, like, like, all right, you have your resting heart rate, right? And we've all done at, at lifetime, the um, metabolic, the metabolic training. And we, we know what zone one is, zone two is, zone three, zone four, zone five. 
the more we're able to train these different components, the more we're able to get, kind of control where we're at. The better the heart rate, the better in shape we are. There's been a lot of research that shows that, you know, it's, it's uh, less chances of uh, depression and anxiety, anxiety right? Yeah. You know? yep. So there, there's a lot of research that shows that, but there's also research on the tactical side that shows your sweet spot is, is usually between 120 to 145 beats per minute. Anything above that, we're starting to lose some kind of like either motor skill there's going to be some motor skill deterioration eventually if it keeps getting higher up. Like I said, that tunnel vision aspect. And when, if it gets even higher up into like 175, the 200s, you know, beats per minute. I mean, you're, you're just, your cognitive skills aren't going to be there. Yeah. So like the, I know there's a lot of shit going on with the police officers and stuff like that right now. And they're always looking at all these different ways that they might be able to, to maximize positive outcomes mm. but what maybe one of the ways is increasing their fitness levels you know what yeah. i mean so they're able to control where the heart rate is in order to have a, like a, a better mindset when shit goes shit down hits the fan. yeah yeah you know what i mean and they're in like a life death scenario and that, that's something i want to bring up because i think it's interesting you know what i mean how how fitness can affect cognitive function absolutely you know? I mean, so. you bring up anxiety and depression. I mean, we talk about that a lot in terms of being able to, what, what Daron was talking about from a hormonal standpoint. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think well, anybody can tell you that sitting on the couch is, and, and wallowing your, in your not feeling good is mm-hmm. going to make you feel better. Getting up and moving around. We talk about action and movement and mm-hmm. changing your mindset by physically moving around. Yeah. This is obviously one of those intense situations you're already it's intense enough just being in it and now being able to stay calm and focused well it's one of the it's one of those things too like so i've been getting into a lot of one of the things that i've been jumping into research wise lately is i've been really getting into the um the brain right and how exercise affects the brain specifically cardiovascular exercise right and then i've also been looking at like nootropics and different supplements and stuff like that but in terms of the cardio specifically right? It increases gray matter. It increases brain plasticity, mm-hmm. right? It mm-hmm. increases your ability to uh, rewire your brain in certain ways. Mm-hmm. So I would assume that you can change the stress response through doing cardiovascular practicing, yes. right? So, right. I mean, I would think if you set up something like where you have a, their training and then you said there's a social work aspect too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Our, our social worker, because all my years in baseball, we had, we always had like a mental skills guy. We always yeah. had like the athletic trainers. We had the nutritionists. We had the, the chefs and everything like that. So like I, from all those years, I like, I know how to like mold different things. And this is, this is how we want to attack this. This is how we should attack that. And being fully integrated in all these different aspects, she was able to like bring in a little bit more stress inoculation. So like we'll do, we'll do a, a type of training. It's a uh, hurricane training. I don't know if you ever heard of it. We used to, when I was in baseball, we used to call it a nine inning drill, which was like three exercise circuited. You go through those three exercises three times. That's three innings. We go in mm. the next three innings of work, you know, and it's three exercises three times. And then we go to the last nine innings of work. And the tactical side, I forget the guy's name who does it. It's, he calls it hurricane training. So you have like a level one hurricane, okay, which is going to be like body weight exercises. Level two is adding weight resistance to it. Level three is adding heavier weight to it. Uh, category four might be like adding Olympic lifting to it. Category five is like more strongman component to it. You have like after the first circuit, you have 30 seconds of recovery before you go to the next circuit. But after you finish the three circuits, you have like a minute rest or a two minute rest before you start the next, you know, block of training. And we would do like little different, like kind of started out fun. Like, Hey, here's, where's Waldo find Waldo. And we would like basically scream at him. That's not Waldo. You know what I mean? And like the music's <laughs> blaring and people are dropping weight and like it's loud and they're, they're trying to find Waldo in 30 yeah. seconds before they start their next session. But that, that's like stress inoculation. Yeah. It's little stressful scenarios that will shoot their heart rate up. And it's like you need, you, know, you need to control that. We need to be used to the different scenarios. And then you could play that into where we did like visual recognitions. So here's a plane that's in the air. What plane is that? Mm-hmm. And they have to visually recognize the type of plane that they see and be able to get it correctly. And they have to be tested out on it, which everyone freaks out at test. 
right? So like, there's like little different ways that you can do these little stress inoculations in order to, to create some stressful situations within the gym environment. So they're training some aspect of it. That's that awesome. Sense? Yeah. I mean, they're going to need that to survive. Yeah, exactly. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And the cop thing that you bring up with the police officers, you know, I don't know, man, I'm in New York city. Sometimes I see some of these cops and I'm like, did you even, have you picked up a weight since like, uh, you know, ever? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like since your, your, uh, you know, basic training when, when you're in the Academy, like I, the testing for them, you know, I, and I've trained some clients that were getting ready to go to the Academy and, you know, you have to, you know, do a certain number of push-ups and sit-ups and whatever it is. I don't remember entirely, but mm-hmm. I'm like, I look at that stuff and I'm like, that's nothing. I could do that with my eyes closed. Yeah. And I'm not even in, in my work shape. I could do that in my, with my eyes closed. Yeah. So, you know, not, not to knock any of them. I mean, there's tons of, co- there's tons of police officers that I know that work hard. They're, they're in great yeah, shape. They work hard. They're know? in great shape. They go to the gym all the time. I've trained a few of them, uh, but I just think for the mental piece path that you're pointing out is really a big one in terms yeah. of their stress response. It's well, interesting. You know? Right? You know I mean? Yeah, you know, it's really it's interesting. Like, not even just that. If you're somebody that doesn't work out on a regular basis, what is your mental health like? Yeah. yeah. Right. So when I look at it from that, from that standpoint, it doesn't even have to be to the extreme of what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. But it's, what is your mental health? What is, what is your day-to-day stress like? How do you cope with stress? Like you could be mm-hmm. stressed out and, you know, make a bad decision. Mm-hmm. Cause you didn't exactly. eat right. You didn't sleep right. Like, you know, all those things. Yeah. There, there's so much that goes into like readiness and trainability. Yeah. You know what I mean? Of where you're at and what's going on in your life. This, this is kind of a little bit off topic, but in the same aspect. All right. Like w- when I was training my pitchers, our day one, okay. My starting pitchers day one, they would go on a run and I consider it like a flush run, even though lactic acid is already out of the system, right? By the time the next days occurred, but it was a mental flush. Yeah. Okay. Everything else. So exactly. You're going for a run. When you're running, you're, you're, you're thinking about shit, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're processing yesterday's start. You're, you're coming up with maybe different scenarios that you could have came up with, mm-hmm. but guess what? When you're thinking about it, you go through that process of like processing how the day was either good or bad. Right. Okay. When you come back off that, we're done, done talking about it. Yeah. Cause that, that, that start is shut and closed and we're focusing on the next start. Right. Yeah. And it's the same component. Like uh, our social worker, she did this this uh, certification. It was uh, EDMR. I can't remember. At, like it's an eye movement uh, response type thing. And one of the big things I got like out of her brief on it was it was bilateral rhythmic st- stimulation. What is bilateral rhythmic stimulation? Running to me. Okay. Because you, you create a pace. It's a rhythmic pace that you're doing. And it's a bilateral movement pattern. And like you, you when I go for runs, I think about shit and I work yeah. through my problems, right? You go through your breathing and how exactly. you set your breath pattern. Exactly. Yep. You don't have to, you don't have to think about how you're running, right? You just, you know, you run, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's, there's, so there's that cognitive component that applies to it. But if you're using it, like Daron said about like how he's looking at like cardio conditioning in order to maximize uh, neuroplasticity and neurogenesis, you know, it's going to be a positive thing, but people don't, they have to realize they don't have to go on these long ass runs. They can do like a high intensity interval training session and still get good Same results. Benefits. Out of it. Anything you know that's I mean? going to get your heart rate up, yeah. right? That's going exactly. to, that's going to, or, you know, you have some heart, heart rate variability component in there too. Crazy shit. Crazy. It's such shit. good topics because so many people view exercise. I'm just going to bring this up. So many, all the stuff we've talked about so far is weight loss and you know, shedding body fat, but so much of the performance aspect, if even our general population focused more on performance enhancement and all of these things that we're talking about, mm-hmm. all the stuff about weight loss and body fat and aesthetics and how we look and physique, they all kind of get pushed aside and you focus yeah. on all these positive things that you can create in your life yeah. from a health standpoint and a performance standpoint. And to your point earlier, I loved what you said about it's not about working out. It's about training for something. We're training mm-hmm. for life. You're training for yeah. whatever sport you're doing or exactly. you know, this type of training. That shifts your mental game on why you're going even yeah. into the gym. I always tease about like, hey, you know, like when I go through my life, you have different goals in life mm-hmm. fitness wise, right? Like when you're 
your teens to twenties. And uh, like, I, I just wanted to be huge. Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? I wanted to be Daron. All right. I wanted to be yeah. big Cito. <laughs> big Cito. <laughs> big Cito. <laughs> big Cito when I was that age, you know what I mean? And then like that kind of transition to like, ah, I'm, I'm not going to get huge. You know, I get bigger, but I'm not going to get huge. And then I transitioned to, uh, you know what? I want to be as strong as I could be. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to pick up like Buicks and shit like that. Right. <laughs> you know? And then it's like that, that might've been from like twenties to like mid thirties. Mm-hmm. Like I'm in the part of my life now where I'm like, yeah, we just want to be able to get up. You know we I mean? want to be able to get up. I don't up. want to have a hip replacement. No right? pain. You know I mean? Right. That's exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. and that, so like my training focus right. changed over the course of time. And I think, I think people get stuck in routines that they're yeah. like, oh, I have to do what I did when I was 16. No, you don't. You know what I mean? The, they say the body's a temple, but it's not. It's a suspension bridge. You know what I mean? And if, if, those, if those wires are off, then you're going to have grinding. You're going to have breakdown. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. One of the things Ray Cook always said was, you know, you either need duct taped or WD-40, right? You either <laughs> need to loosen something up yep. that's too tight, tight, you know, or you need to tighten Strengthen something it. up that's too loose. Yeah. All right. In order to get that length tension relationship the right way, in order to maximize longevity of the, the joint, you know what I mean? Or ex- longevity of what you love to do. Yeah. You know what I mean, I mean, it's a concept, I think, of life and just trying to educate people on, you know, tightening up what's too loose or loosening up what's too tight. That all plays into your caloric expenditure, because now if, if I'm fighting against my own body, I'm wasting calories or I'm leaking energy. Right. Because I'm not efficient, which is going to raise my heart rate up, which is going to affect X, Y and Z that we already talked about. Right. Mm-hmm. It's going to be unfavorable. Like you need your body to work the way it's supposed to work in order for, you know, you to conserve energy, preserve it, control exactly. your heart rate, do all and those things. And that's performance. You know, you, you want to maximize your performance. And like Nicole was saying, it doesn't matter if you're a tactical athlete, a professional athlete, a weekend warrior or a mom. Yep. You, you want to be the best mom you can be, right? And you want to be able to pick up your kid and play with your kid and, and move the way you need to move. All good stuff, Pat. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank keep- you so much. We miss I'm, you. I'm keeping your microphone. Is that close <laughs> enough? <laughs> <laughs> Shit, he should have been that close the whole time. Oh, uh, no. Right. <laughs> yeah. Next time. Oh, that was still um, good. Ladies and gentlemen, Pat Sandora, thank you for coming on. If you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe. Give us five stars. Comment below. Follow us at Eat Right Nutrition on Instagram, E-A-T-R-I-T-E, and you'll hear us next week. 